without any uh, further ado, as Jay likes to say. I, I want to try to stretch you guys in, in, a, in a really good way. How many of you have ever heard the saying, everybody gets to play? Anybody? Feel? It's, it's kind of you know generic saying, but around the vineyard, it, it, we're, talking, we're, we're doing this series right now of uh, the church that Jesus is building. And one of the distinctives of our movement in our church is we really believe that everybody gets to play. But, but I want to connect this idea to you in a very personal way today. I want to try to help you to, to get past something that you've all experienced, that we've all experienced, which is the issue that I'm not enough. That we all have this struggle with this idea that I'm not enough. I'm not man enough. I'm not a good enough wife. I'm not a good enough worker. I'm not a good enough follower of Jesus. I'm not, you know, in fact, just for a second, what is your I'm not good enough? What, what, what plays in your head sometimes when you put your head on the pillow or when you're under stress? Whatever that I'm not good enough, or, or, and, and it may have, you might have a long list of I'm not enough, the idea that everybody gets to play doesn't fit with this I'm not enough. Because the truth is, when we feel like I'm not enough, we don't feel like we get to play. And we tend to use that idea of getting to play in, in the vineyard movement in the issue of everybody gets to do the works of Jesus. And I think that's true, but I, I want to say that that's going to be one of the points I make. But I want to tell you, the gospel brings us resources to impact our lives at the very heart of that lie that I'm not enough, that we say to ourselves, that we hear, and sometimes even people say to us, you're not enough in various ways. We've, we've experienced it in many, many forms in our lives. You're not enough. And that thing gets internalized, and then it, it, it really significantly holds us back from flourishing in our lives. And the gospel, if it does anything, it speaks to this whole issue of I'm not enough, and it says something to us about our lives that totally undoes that lie in all of its forms. Now, that lie is, is a lie that's sort of like a, it, it's got a root system that goes down so deep uh, that it takes a while to pull all those roots up. But you will never pull those roots up by yourself. You will never have the resources to do it by yourself. No matter how many counselors you get before, no matter how many motivational speakers you get before, the only person that can give you the resources to deal with that lie of I'm not enough in all of its forms is Jesus. He's the only one who has the resources to, to envision you that your life can be different. And I want, to read this, I want to read a passage in the book of Ephesians where Paul talks to these uh, early Christians and he says things to them that are really revolutionary. It's in chapter 4 and I'm going to read it to you real quick. And it starts in verse 1. It's, it's kind of a long passage, but we're just going to pick three words or three phrases out of this because there's a lot here. This is a really deep passage in, in many respects. But there's three words that, that, that 
that embody truths, three phrases that embody truths that deal with this thing, I'm not enough, and it addresses it so that everybody can play. And when I say everybody can play, you can, you're meant to thrive in your life in a very unique way, but like everybody else can thrive. And your ability to thrive in your life depends, I believe, on you getting a hold of these three, three truths that Paul touches on here. And I'm going to read it. I just want you to listen. Just incline your ear for these three words. First he talks, he uses the word calling. Then he uses the word grace, or, or it might, your translation might say gifts. Then he uses the word building others up. So he says, calling and gifts and building others up. So listen to that. So starting at verse 4, verse 1, chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why he says, He ascended on high. He led captives in his train, and he gave gifts to men. And he's quoting Psalm 68. Then he says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? And when he who descended is the very one who ascends, that ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe, it was he, and he's talking about Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead... So instead of that, he says, this is what's possible. Through speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who's the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the point of this story, I mean, to use, I'm going to use it this way. If If you could take a point out of this, there's a lot here. He's saying everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play. No matter how many times you've heard you're not enough, and it's been drilled into your head, and maybe it, it, there is some measure of reality to it. You see some limitations in your life that are very real. That doesn't mean you don't get to play, and it doesn't mean that that you're not enough has to define you. And so he says there's three things. He says you have a calling. You have a calling. I'm going to to tell you something about that in a second. The second thing he says is, you have gifts or grace. 
And then he says, your gifts have a purpose. They have a purpose, a purpose in God. So what is this thing calling? What is a calling? And what does that have to do with this thing where I don't feel like I'm enough? This is a profound, I mean, when we talk about this, and Paul says it over and over and over in this passage, the idea of a calling is something that is profound and holy and amazing and deep. And most of the time, we don't realize when we touch this, we're touching something that is so amazing that we have to, it's almost like you have to step back and go, I just want to, I want to be quieter. I want, I don't know, I, there's some kind of respect or something. We're, something. we're touching something holy here. But yet we kind of use it casually. And the word calling, it, not the Greek word, but the way that we, we understand it, it's a vocation. And the, the Latin word vocare means to name or to hear a voice. To name or to hear a voice. And you'll see in the stories of the Bible that describe people having callings, God will come to them, and sometimes God will come to their parents and say, Name them this. And they lived in a culture where your name embodied something about who you were, who God made you to be. Now, sometimes parents named a child a certain way because the, they maybe didn't see the child in the fullest light. And so God came along that, they, that, that God saw them in. Because here's the thing about when, when God speaks to us and gives us a name, there is something deep and alive and profound with that. And most of us don't live out that name. Like, all through the Bible, you will see people have a name, and, and then they have a significant encounter with God, and they get a new name because their life changes. And, but here's the thing. Your life doesn't change if God is just a word to you. Your life only changes when God becomes more than a word. And so you'll see in these stories that, that fill the Bible, when people encounter God, and He's more than a name to them, they get a new name. Peter was previously Cephas. And Cephas meant one thing, and Jesus came along and said, no. And, you know, even though <laughs> Peter was a very uh, unpredictable, sort of excitable, uh, and, and in many ways unreliable person, that didn't define him. He, in that part of his life, he wasn't enough. But Jesus came along and said, I'm going to introduce you to enough. Enough comes in me. I'm going to give you a new name. And your name is no longer Cephas. Now it's Peter, which meant rock. It meant little rock. Let's <laughs> kind of keep him humble. But it, nevertheless, he was saying something to him that those, that voice in you that says you're not enough my voice is going to have the final say, and I'm going to back it up. My voice is going to name you, and I'm going to, I'm going to envision you to be something different than you are. And 
Now, here's the thing about calling. There's two, calling is a coin with two sides. The first calling we have, which is the crucial calling, is our calling is first and foremost to Jesus, to the person. Everything else is secondary to that. Our first calling is to him. Because number one, whatever other calling you have, which God has an amazing calling on your life, every one of you that are in this room. But you will never realize that unless you're connected to the voice. Because the voice is where is the source. Hearing him, connected to him, abiding in him, all the words that, that we use and that the Bible uses to help us to know how to connect to God through Christ. It's that voice that sometimes the prophets heard it and they just shook and they fell on the ground and they, their fuses blew. And they, they, they went, oh, woe is me. You know, I can't handle it. And when the voice speaks in heaven, sometimes the prophets would see scenes of heaven where these mighty angels were around God. And when the voice would speak, they would all like, you know, cover themselves up and go, whoa. It's this picture that God is, this calling thing is a big deal. Now, there's a writer, uh, some of you might not be familiar with, there's a writer named Oz Guinness, and I, I love his writing. He's a deep, thoughtful guy. He says this, Calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, everything we have is invested with a special devotion dynamism, and direction lived out as a response to his summons and service. So whether you've ever responded to the calling, whether you've ever recognized the calling, it's there. And when you respond to Jesus, the calling is then realized. And something begins in your life that changes everything. And so this, 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 this calling to Christ then Jesus said to the most humble people, the people that everyone else wrote off, when he, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount, which is when all the crowds of people came to him, all the, you know, the, the riffraff of Israel came to hear Jesus, he said to them, you know, blessed are you, 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 blessed are you. And then he said to them something. It, it, he was envisioning them the way... I'm trying to envision you right now, the way I believe God's trying to envision you. He said to them, he said, you are the salt of the earth. The salt was super important in their culture. You were the light of the world. Light was, you know, light, if all these lights went off, if all the lights go off for us, it, it's a game changer, right? You know, there is some legitimate fear that an EMP will take out our electrical grid, and I don't know if you've ever been in a country where the lights don't work or where there's rolling blackouts, but your life is real different without light. And salt and light in their world and in our world, because salt was like refrigeration to them. Salt's what preserved things. Salt wasn't just what gave food savor. I mean, it had a fundamental, crucial role in their lives. And he's saying, you that everybody else dismisses, that you who might dismiss yourself because of me, I'm making you salt and light. And then he topped it, and he said, you're like a city on a hill. And there was nothing more honored and valued and prized 
than cities that were on hills because they were defensible. There's all kinds of advantages to having a city on a hill. But it was, a, it, was, it was another way of saying, you're honored. He's saying that about us. That's what calling is. So when we're called to Christ, we are given and imbued with, as, as Os Guinness said, something, a dynamic that a lot of times we're just not aware of it. We're just kind of in the humdrum of our lives and we don't, it's just background noise to us. It has to become something we're more consciously aware of, or the power of it doesn't change that, it, it doesn't impact that, that lie that you're not enough. Because it doesn't just like, you know, like ding the lie a bit. It's like, it just smothers it. It crushes it. But that lie, it's like, it gets resurrected. It comes back. Because you know what? The lie that you're not enough didn't just come from one thing in your life. It just what, that one time where you didn't get picked for the kickball st- uh, team. Or you didn't get taken to the prom. Or you got overlooked for a job. Or, or siblings were, were preferred over you. We have 10,000 of those. And so that lie is a stubborn lie that you're not enough because you've experienced a lot of times where people didn't value you enough for it to get set in you that you could walk around yeah i am enough you know i am enough but it that not that you have to psych yourself up into it it's just there but jesus comes and says to us over and over and over despite the mess that you've lived i say to you you're valuable. You're a salt. You're a light. You're a city on a hill. Now go live it. But you can't, if you don't, stay, if you don't hear that voice, and it, you don't hear it over and over, you're left with trying to psych yourself up. You're left with cards on your refrigerator that try to you know, pump you up a little bit. You're left with Tony Robbins. You know, to be honest... But the guy's a gift from God. He does get it. He is trying to say something. But if you separate your significance from Jesus, you don't have have significance. You're a cut flower. Second thing he said was, you have gifts. You have grace that Jesus gave you something. And you go, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) Look at me. You think he gave me anything? Remember... John, I still believe I'm not enough. But it says, when it's but, in verse 7, to each one of us grace, past tense, has been given as Christ apportioned it. So he looked at you before you were born. You were in his heart and mind, and he said, for this person I have grace. I have a part of myself I'm going to put in them and I'm going to reveal myself to the world through them. That's you. That's you. And, you know, Da Vinci was asked, I think it was Da Vinci, Michelangelo, who, who did David? Who, who carved David? Michelangelo. There you go. It wasn't Da Vinci. I got Da Vinci on my mind. Uh, they asked him, how did you do that? And he said, he's purported to have said, and this might be an urgent lesson. I'm just saying that, okay? He had this rock 
this block of, of stone. And he said, I just carved away everything that didn't look like what I saw in my mind. And it, other people could have looked at that stone and tried to do what he did, but he had this imagination. God gave him this grace. If you've ever seen a picture of it, people walk in there and they go, <gasps> people are like, people start crying. It's, it's amazing. It's a, 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 it's a, it's a wonder. But that's because there was a guy who had something of the creativity of God that he expressed and manifested into the world. That's what each of us have been given, not to be Michelangelo's, but to be expressions, small but profound expressions of, of the greatness of who God is. That's why when he says you've been given grace, Christ has given it to you. So here's the thing. He came into the world. Back to him again. He came into the world very ordinary, very, you know, unnoticed, overlooked. And in fact, he was, because of his apparent lineage as a bastard child of a teenage unwed mother, he was considered as someone who wasn't enough. He was ruled, just because he was born that way, all kinds of doors were closed to him for the rest of his life. Human doors, religious doors, professional doors. But we know that God said, no door can be closed to my son. And then he came and lived this life and, and just took everyone's breath away, lived this perfect life and proved that he, he when it says, uh, when Jesus died, it says he ascended, but Paul reminds us he descended. He was God in the flesh. And he, and he, and he, and he uses this phrase, earthly regions. And, he, and in a sense, he's saying all the not enough that we descend into, all the way that we fumble the ball and mess up our lives, Jesus descends into that, swallows it up for us, overcomes it for us, dies in our place for our sins like we saw last week for us, and then he's raised from the dead, and on his way back to the Father, he gives the gift of the Holy Spirit with all these gifts and all this unearned gifting just pours out. And he apportions it as he sees fit, but he gives everybody some. Everybody gets to play because of Jesus. Not because of us. And we, we default back to, but it depends on me. And Jesus says, no, it depends on me. The grace comes from me. The, the privilege comes from me. The forgiveness comes from me. Everything you need. The voice that calls you is my voice. Jesus is the Word. The Word of God. We hear God calling us through this person, Jesus. And our hearts, our hearts hear it. Now it's a challenge sometimes because it means like we looked at last week. There are things you have to lay down. But I'll get to that. So he, then he goes on and he says that, that he's given some. He, he talks about five gifts there. He says some, now think about this, he's saying Everybody here is one of these. And this isn't all the gifts that, that we have. But he says everybody here has an approach to life, an orientation, a gift that they bring, an impulse that they bring into their environment 
that's apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, shepherding, or teaching. And apostolic is just this ability to start things, to, 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 to move things to begin and, and birth things. And a prophetic gifting is there are people that look at things and say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. It should be like this. And that voice constantly challenges people to move towards that. And a lot of times those people are artistic and they're, they're sensitive and they're musical. Uh, you know, they, they're oriented towards justice and things. Other people who are evangelistic, they, they are promoters and marketers and uh, salespeople and people that tell people about how good things can be. They encourage people. It's just this, they bring that into their world. And then there's these shepherding people who care. And all the myriad ways that care is needed in our lives. And then there's the teachers who help us understand and make sense of life. And these gifts are all necessary, Paul said here, for growth. And that we all have one of them. We all have to learn to function in all of them, but we all need other people. If, if, if 